Morning. Uh, happy Mother's Day. Uh, my name is, that was kind of weird because you can't say that back to me. Like, <laughs> I was like, okay, good morning. Uh, let's try this again. Uh, my name is David Soren. I am the uh, lead pastor here. Hey, before we get into our passage for this morning, I too want to just say a couple things about this summer because there are so many things happening here uh, in the next uh, three or four weeks. Firstly, I am so pumped uh, for Renovation U uh, to start again. I just think it is so important that you all get in a class this summer so that you can grow in your knowledge of the Bible and your knowledge of God. Uh, seriously, these classes, they are phenomenal. Uh, so well done, you're gonna, you're gonna love them. Also, I want to personally and I want to publicly uh, thank uh, the churches in Blaine that have allowed us to come into their building this summer and do ministry. I just think that's huge. You know, as the days grow darker in our culture, I think it is so important that churches work together. And I just love that that's happening uh, in our city. And so I just want to publicly thank uh, Bridgewood Community Church, uh, which is just right down the road here. Uh, Pastor Brendan there, they have such a heart, seriously, for the greater body of Christ. And we're so thankful for them. I want to thank my friend Randy Gamer and Living Faith Church are also just right down the road here on Lexington. When we called them, they were so willing, so open right away to just share their space with us uh, this summer. And then I want to say a huge thank you to uh, Darren and Tim at Oak Park Community Church. Uh, when we had our church offices over by Carol's Restaurant in Blaine for years, some of you know that, um, they were our neighbors, essentially. And they, they do awesome stuff. What they do for the next generation and their Awana programs and VBS, it, it's awesome. So we love these churches. And again, we're just blown away by their hospitality, their generosity to just open up their building uh, to our church this summer. So if we could just publicly just thank them and clap for them, I think it's... If you, if you know a fellow believer at any of those churches, if you would just thank them too, I just, we're, I'm, we were blown away by it, so it's, it's, it's pretty cool. And then uh, secondly, if you didn't know yet, uh, our building construction is going to start in just two and a half weeks. Uh, last week... We have the loan vote if you were here, and I'm happy to tell you that it passed unanimously, actually, which is really cool. And so we are gonna do, we, we didn't get to do this last time because we broke ground like three weeks after COVID started, but we are gonna do a big church-wide groundbreaking ceremony on a Tuesday night, May 30th. So if you don't have that in your calendar yet, which you probably don't because I'm just telling you about it right now, uh, May 30th, 6.30 p.m. because of, as of right now, now anything can change in construction, it really can, but as of right now, uh, they're slated to begin construction then that following morning, uh, Wednesday morning, the 31st. We'd love to have you all come out and just uh, celebrate it with us that night. And then finally, that following Sunday, June 4th, we're not gonna be able to have our services in here anymore because the very first thing you're gonna do is rip apart uh, this worship center to expand it. So we are gonna move uh, for three and a half uh, to four months to North Point Elementary. Uh, which is where we were for over a decade before we built this building. And we're going to have super fun outdoor services this summer, which I think is going to be really cool. Uh, but our kids are going to be inside for children's ministry. Uh, and I'll tell you, I've, uh, I've visited a lot of church plants over the years, and I think this building has the best space I've ever seen for kids' ministry. So the spaces are just awesome. And then finally, we're going to be able to go back to three services because of the parking they have there for the summer. So we'll be at 9 o'clock, 10, 15, at 11.30, so if you show up at 9.10, you're 10 minutes late. Okay, all right, super good stuff, lots of stuff. Thank you for letting me get through it. Let's get into our message for this morning. Uh, we as a church, we have been teaching through the often ignored letter of Jude in the Bible, which is a letter about the danger of false teachers and also false believers, and so far, 
We've gotten a lot of warnings about what happens if a person falls into false belief, but we haven't talked yet about, well, what do you do if that's the person next to you or somebody that you know, a friend or a family member? And when we talk about false belief, we're specifically referring to the types of false belief that Jude has talked about in his letter. So like in verse four, he says, these are the people who have twisted God's grace, his forgiveness, and they've turned it into a a license, a permission for sin. He says these are the people who have denied, verse eight, the authority of God. So they no longer believe the Bible, and they instead, just verse 19, it says they follow their own instincts. And so what do you do then if maybe your own child that grew up in church has walked away? How do you interact with them as a Christian? What do you, what do, you do if your, your best friend or your sibling that you used to quote verses with in youth group now thinks the Bible is just an old antiquated book that's silly? How as a Christian are you to interact with someone like that? That's the kind of advice and instructions we're gonna get today from Jude. So everybody grab a Bible. I would love for you to look at it. The Bibles are just under the chair in front of you. So go ahead and grab that so you can see it with your own eyes. We're gonna be on page 837 if you wanna find it. Uh, As we read through Jude's instructions on this, He's actually going to give us three different categories of false believers here. Each one progressively more sold out to their false beliefs than the other. And so actually, I think it's really important that we as Christians, that we are using wisdom to discern where the person in your life is along that continuum. Because you'll notice that for each category of false believer, we are given a different set of responses to give to them. Okay, so let's take a look at the three groups of people. So you want to find that small number 22, that's verse 22, and we'll start right there. Okay, so Jude says, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire, and to others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Okay, so really short today, we just get two verses, but there's a lot in here, and this is kind of a turn, it's a little different than we've been looking at the last four weeks, so I want to spend all of our time just on these two verses. So let's start with this very first group. The first group that Jude gives us is number one, we would call them the doubters. And he says, to the doubters, we are to be merciful. Now this first group, is a group of people that's most likely still in the church. They're attending church, they may even be in your house group. They might not technically even be false believers yet, but they're kind of on their way. They're beginning to doubt. Maybe they're having doubts about the truth of the Bible or doubts about God or they're doubting what Christianity is all about. And so what do you do then? What do you do, okay, let's say you're at house groups and you're in your small group and somebody says to you, they say, I'm just not sure that I even agree with the Bible when it talks about sex or when it talks about marriage. I just think that's that's too old fashioned for me. It's limiting, it's oppressive, and I just don't think the Bible is the only authority on those sorts of things. So, okay, someone says that to you in small groups. How do you, as a Christian, respond to that. What do you do? Well, Jude would say, what you shouldn't do is take your Bible and slam it down and say, how dare you? I'm calling an intervention right now. No, no, no. When we contend for the faith, right, we speak truth, but Jude says we show mercy. We ought to be merciful, kind, patient in speaking to them. Because friends, listen, we live in a culture that spits lies at people 24-7. 
particularly when it comes to issues of, of sex and identity and freedom. And so the frequency in which people are just hearing lies today is going to cause people to doubt. There is so much bad teaching out there in books and podcasts and YouTube videos. And so we've got to show mercy, we've got to show gentleness and kindness as we deal with people's doubts. You know, I, I became a, a Christian as a, as a young adult and I tell you, I'm just so grateful to the people who led and discipled me in those early years of faith because I think I just as easily could have been led astray into false teaching and would that have been my fault? I don't know, maybe, but maybe I just wouldn't have known any better. And so be merciful to those that maybe just don't know any better. And remember, we all doubt. You know what, I doubt sometimes. But don't look at me like that. I'm, I'm not a robot. I'm a human being, okay? And that means that we doubt, we sometimes doubt. Is God real, is God good, all of those things. Why is that happening? Well that's because the world around us, uh, our flesh, the Bible says, and our spiritual enemies, the devil, right? They're, they're, they're coming at each of us every day saying, he's not real, he's not good. So every day we're fighting against that. And so I just wanna tell you, if you are hearing the beginnings of doubt from a family member, from a friend, do not freak out. And let me give you another reason why you shouldn't freak out. Uh, listen to the words here of uh, Henry Drummond. He says this. He says, we are born questioners. Look, look at the wonderment of a little child in its eyes before it can speak. The child's great word when it begins to speak is why. The preschool parents say amen, okay? <laughs> every child is full of every kind of question about every kind of thing that moves and shines and changes in the little world in which it lives. Respect doubt for its origin. It is an inevitable thing. It is not a thing to be crushed. It is a part of man as God made him. Doubt is the prelude of knowledge. And so realize then, if you react to someone's doubt with anger or with shame, you're just going to push them farther away from Jesus. It's okay that they're trying to wrap their head around who God is and what he asks of them. Because my friends, God isn't always easy to understand. If he was, he wouldn't be God. And so we've gotta show mercy, we've gotta show patience. We need to speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15, as we speak to people. So if I was speaking back to that person in small groups who ask that question about sex and about marriage, I would probably say something like, my friend, I hear you on that. I feel like the church sometimes hasn't always done a great job of handling those issues. Uh, I, I think you had a great question about, well, okay, why wouldn't God just let us sleep around? I could see how you might see that as limiting to human freedom. But what am I doing? Some of you are like, what are you doing? What, what I'm doing is I'm listening, okay? I'm being merciful, I'm being kind. I'm showing mercy because I know God gave them a human brain that gains knowledge by questioning. But I'm not just going to speak in love. The Bible says speak the truth in love. You, did, you deliver truth on the train of love. And so I'm going to say, I, I hear what you're saying, but I also know that God teaches us in his word that he gives us guardrails, he gives us limits, because he is a good, good father. And when it comes to these issues of sex and marriage, he puts guardrails and limits because he doesn't want you to be hurt and he knows what's best for you.
What am I doing? I'm speaking truthfully, but I'm speaking with mercy. Because if we just come back at people with kind of that hurried anger like we do sometimes, they're just going to think that our anger is just masking our own doubts. And that's just going to push them further away. So to the doubters, we show mercy. Okay, but there's a second group of false believers that Jude talks about, and they're a little further down on the continuum, and we get different advice then from Jude. So this is the beginning of verse 23. So take a look at the beginning of verse 23. He says, then save others by snatching them from the fire. Okay, so this now is a group of people, because they're near the fire, it's a group of people, they've moved beyond their initial doubts. They've Many of them have walked away from the church. They're not attending anymore. Or at minimum, they've kind of denied basic standard Christian Orthodox teaching. Uh, if you remember a couple weeks ago, you remember we talked about the slippery slope of false belief? Or just throw those four points of the slippery slope on the screen. And these people, the ones that are just about at the fire, they've moved beyond their doubts, they're probably at number two on the slippery slope. They have false belief, and that's led to a rejection of God's authority and his word. Now they maybe haven't actually played out like to three and four the ramifications of it yet. They maybe aren't all into it yet, but they've distanced themselves from Christianity or at minimum from church. So how do you deal with that second group of people? Because it's a different group. They've moved beyond the doubts now. Many of them are walking away from God and they are ready to just kind of jump head first into the arms of the world. And so we get different advice here, right? Jude's now speaking with, with, an, with a directness, with an urgency in how God wants us to speak to this group. Because if a person is at this point now where they move beyond their doubts and they're ready to kind of officially deny God and deny their Christian faith, then they're walking towards the fire of God's judgment. And so we've got to act accordingly if that's true. And yet I fear that so many of us in the American church are honestly just distracted with other pursuits. It was kind of like, I, I read a story about the, the infamous uh, novelist, uh, Russian novelist Vladimir Nabokov. He was uh, one time uh, vacationing in Utah and he was an avid butterfly collector, which I find really weird, but sorry if you're a butterfly collector. <laughs> One day, well, he returned to the cabin where he was staying with his friend, and he was, had, a, you know, I guess, another great day of butterfly collecting. And he told his friend that while he was out chasing a butterfly, he heard this person kind of in this, it was called Bear Gulch, just groaning down by the river. And his friend said, well, what did you do? What was the matter with the person? He said, oh, I never stopped. I was on a hot pursuit of a butterfly. And then they found out the very next day that the corpse of an aged prospector was discovered in that gulch, which is now renamed Dead Man's Gulch. Now we can sit here and we can kind of shake our head in judgment at that author, but how many people are dying around us and walking towards the fire all while we as suburban American Christians chase the butterflies of sports or our careers, or maybe it's just redecorating your living room. And Jude says, if your people, your people, your family members, your friends are walking towards the fire, snatch them, grab them. I read a story recently about this a particular bridge in China that sits very high above the river, so high that, in fact, unfortunately, now over a thousand people have jumped to their death off that bridge. 
And there's a man, a Chinese man that lives really near the bridge that has taken it upon himself every weekend. He goes out to the bridge and tries to save people, to snatch them from jumping off the bridge. And the Chicago Tribune wrote a story about this man. And he has now saved, at the time of their writing, over 42 people from jumping. Snatched them. And he says in the article that he can actually now just spot out potential jumpers because he can see, he can recognize the gravity of their situation just in their faces. And I think as Christians, we need to identify the gravity of the situation of a false believer walking away from Jesus. Listen to me, if your sibling, if your teenager is beginning to deny their faith, Right? They've moved beyond just initial questions. They're beginning to deny their faith. They're ready to just jump headlong into the arms of the world. Please say something. On behalf of every parent in this room who've watched their child then move to the next phases of the slippery slope, please say something. Sit them down. Talk with them, remind them. Again, you do this in, in love, in kindness, but there's a sternness here too. You remind them of the love of Jesus. You remind them of the sacrifice of Jesus for them. You speak to them about eternity because this life is just a blip. You pray like you never prayed before. You enlist the help of others, but you cannot do nothing. And I'm just gonna tell you, we need the Holy Spirit here. You know, Jude gives us sort of some outline advice here, but this isn't 10 pages of detail. And so when you're gonna have conversations like this with your kid or your sibling or your friend, you need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. I read a, this was maybe nine, 10 months ago, I read a really good example of this from author and pastor Jack Deere. He said he was on an airplane once. He was sitting next to this woman who had walked away from the church. She wasn't a follower of Christ. And he felt like God was telling him to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with her. And so he began sharing about Jesus and she was really sharp and smart. And so he was using a lot of reason and apologetics and logic and none of it was landing. And so he just started praying for the power of God, for the wisdom of God. And he felt like God told him to say, you know what your problem is? It's the same as mine. You're a sinner and you need a savior. And he said, as soon as he said that, the woman just burst into tears. And she said, I know, I know, but what do I do? and he led this woman to Christ. After they had been debating for an hour getting nowhere. He said he was so excited about this, but the next time he had an opportunity to snatch someone back from the fire, he said the exact same words to him. He said, you know what your problem is? You're a sinner, and you need a savior. And the guy said, I'm not a sinner, you self-righteous know-it-all. See, the truth is, there is no magic formula. I can't tell you, okay, if you're gonna sit down with your teenager, say X, Y, and Z, you need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. When do you do it? Who's there? What do you say? We've got to lean into God in these situations. Okay, and then Jude gives us a third group of false believers, and they are even further down the continuum. So let's look at Jude's advice and how to interact with these people. So this is verse 23 now. And he says, to others... Show mercy mixed with fear. What an interesting phrase. Hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Okay, so this last group of false believers, these are people that are all in, okay? They, they have 
believed lives. They've rejected the authority of God. They are living out their sin, and so much so that they are even wooing other people to come live like they live. Now, I think it'd be easy for a lot of us to just cast these people off, especially if you're not related to them, right? Like maybe you got somebody at work that used to go to church and be a Christian, but now they're just super anti-God, and they talk about it all the time. It'd just be really easy to say, you know what? They are just crazy. I don't want to listen to any of their stuff. I just, no, I'm done with that person. But I just, I want to say to you, keep the heart of Christ, right? No matter how messed up someone's thinking may feel to you, Christians are not free to despise anyone. They're not free to write anybody off. No one is too far gone from Jesus. And again, even here, even to the person who is fully sold out in their false belief, Jude says, show mercy. But then he says a really curious phrase, show mercy mixed with fear, what is he saying? What is he saying about this last group? He's saying, be, be careful here. It's kind of like saying, if you're going to go and you're going to snatch someone from the fire, what he's saying, if they're fully in the fire, then you need to be really careful that while snatching them from the fire that you don't get burned. That's what he's talking about with that a particular phrase about the corrupted flesh. He says to them this, hating even the clothing that's been stained by corrupted flesh. Flesh. In other words, he's saying, you've you got to fear even the things that are one step in front of them, even the things that are associated with them, you've got to be careful. And I think this particular group of people requires, there's a lot of nuance here, a lot of wisdom is needed here, and we just need guidance from the Holy Spirit. Like, let me give you an example of this. When I was in college, I, there were really a lot of college students, many of you had similar experiences to this. There are a lot of college students who grew up in the church and then essentially became a false believer. So they had walked away from God. Many of them had just fully embraced kind of the partying lifestyle. And my, my roommate, uh, Paul Risfet, was a, a strong Christian. And he, he wanted to reach out to many of them and woo them back to Christ. And so a couple of times, he would go out on Friday nights to their parties and share Christ with them and try and woo them back to follow Jesus. And as a young believer, I really, really wanted to go with them. I wanted to go and reach people for Christ. But as a young Christian, I also knew that if I went, it was more likely that I would be joining the partiers than reaching the partiers for Christ. And so I stayed back and I played catchphrase or whatever Christian college kids did back in the day, right? Because I just knew me in that situation as a young believer, if I got close to the fire, I was absolutely getting burned. For other people, they can go there, but I just couldn't. It wasn't right for me. But let me give you an example with a different conclusion to show you just the nuance, the complexity of this and why we need the wisdom of God. The other day I was talking to my kids and I was mentioning to them that I want to read the Quran in the next uh, couple of months. The Quran is the book of the Muslims because there are so many Muslims moving to our area. And I'm going to be for two weeks this summer with our team in Mozambique preaching in many places predominantly to Muslims. And I was explaining that I wanted to read the Quran and one of my kids said back to me, Dad, can you do that? <laughs> like, is that okay? And I think... You know, we kind of laugh, but I think a lot of us kind of have questions about this when it comes to these nuanced, tricky questions about false beliefs. Like, okay, let's say you got a good friend and they read a particular book and it leads them away from Christianity. It leads them to deny their faith. Now, should you read that book? Should you read that book so you could kind of find out the false points in there and point it out to them and then lead them back to Christ? Should you read it? I don't know. It honestly, it really depends. It depends on your spiritual maturity. 
It depends on your theological knowledge. And this is where we need the counsel of your friends from house groups. Right? This is where we need the direction of the Holy Spirit. So regarding the Quran, I told my kids, I said, personally, as a pastor, I'm at a place in my faith and my knowledge of theology and the word where personally I'm not worried about reading the Quran, which is a book that I don't at all believe to be true. I'm not worried that it's gonna rock my faith. But I wanna read it because listen, every missionary to the Muslim world, you better believe is absolutely reading the Quran before they go. And I wanna read it because just like the missionary, I want to understand how my neighbors think. I want to understand how the people of Mozambique think so that I can better reach them for Christ. And yet, watch the nuance here. This is mercy mixed with fear. I wouldn't at all recommend that the new believer go and read it because they don't have a spiritual foundation yet. And for them, it would be getting too close to the fire. And so we need the wisdom of God. Do you listen to that podcast? Do you read that book? Do you watch that YouTube video? Do you have that conversation with this person? I don't know. And that's where we need the direction and the wisdom from the Holy Spirit. But I would say we also need the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's that Jack Deere story I told where he said to the woman, you know what your problem is? You're a sinner and you need a savior. And she starts crying? What is that? That's the power of God. That's like Peter in Acts chapter two where he stands up at Pentecost and he addresses the crowd of thousands of people and he gives this really crazy sermon if you read it because he says, you know what, you guys? You killed Jesus. I'm like, oh, that's a really wooing introduction there, Peter, right? He says, you killed Jesus, but God raised him from the dead and you can be saved. And 3,000 people believe, repent, and are baptized. What is that? That is the power of the Holy Spirit. And so for all of us in this room that have wayward family members, and friends, prodigals, who have walked away from Jesus. We need not just the wisdom of God, I'm telling you right now, we need the power of God. And so here's what I wanna do uh, this morning. It's a little different, but I just think this is important because this is heavy for a lot of us. As we come uh, to our final song, we actually literally wanna pray for many of you this morning, and we wanna pray the power of God in your life. Because some of you, you have adult children, You have siblings, you have close friends, and they have walked away from God, and we want to pray them back to Jesus. Okay, we don't know God's will, we're not gonna pretend that we know it, but we just know that we pray the impossible. That's what we do here. We pray the impossible because we worship a God that makes the impossible possible. And so at this time, uh, just practically, what I wanna do is I actually wanna call right now our our elders and their wives uh, to come forward and kind of stand up here as well as several members of our prayer team that we've invited uh, to come up. And they're gonna pray for you in person this morning. If you have someone in your life who has walked away from God, we wanna pray for you that you would have wisdom, power to speak to them, and we wanna pray for them that the Lord would lead them back to him. So at any time during this last song, I urge you, come forward and let somebody pray over you this morning. All right, let me pray right now. Lord, we ask for you to move. Uh, We ask that, Lord, I pray even boldly that we would hear testimonies six months from now, a year from now, that would say, yeah, on Sunday, May 14th, I was sitting at home eating breakfast, and I just felt like I gotta come back to God. Would you just do even that now, Lord, as we pray? We believe you can do the impossible, and so we pray for it. And God, give us wisdom as we reach out boldly and mercifully in your name. In your name we pray. Amen.